Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated tonight in Jesus' name. What a powerful presence of God, which just began in the prayer room tonight and has continued out here in Jesus' name. It is just incredible and wonderful to see what he is doing and how he is working around us in that midst. And so you can trust in him in those situations, and you can trust that he is absolutely there working, even though we may not see him tonight. And I think that this will fit in with our lesson tonight about um, Mary and, and some things that she went through again, and just some, some neat aspects that we're going to speak about tonight, because this is something that we all struggle with and something that we all have issues with, and I believe that God is going to help open our eyes and enlighten us to some ways that he works in uh, Jesus' name. So um, before we get into that, this way I don't forget at the end of service tonight, but I, I, I will go over these announcements that have been left up here, um, that uh, there is a, a uh, the, the guy song, there is a practice after Sunday morning service this Sunday. The cool thing about this Sunday morning is we are going to get one of our incredible people back in service for a few weeks. Harmon is coming back, he's flying back to Gillette in Jesus' name, and we are excited that he is going to be here with us as well. Um, and then we have uh, the ladies' Christmas party tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. And so if you want to participate in that, see Sister Carnahan. I believe it is at her house. Um, so if you want to participate, you definitely want to go there. And then we have our Christmas party for the church on Sunday at 6 p.m. Uh, so Sunday night at 6 p.m. So definitely want to be a part of that. And the children's service is uh, Sunday morning. So another cool thing to see. And then we have our Christmas Eve service and a New Year Eve service, and the Christmas Eve is at 5.30, the New Year Eve service is at 7 o'clock, both those weeks we do not have Wednesday night service, so just some things to pay attention to and, and keep on your calendar. Invite people to come and enjoy um, these things, whatever you think may fit um, well with somebody, invite them to those services, because God can definitely change a life in, in those places. It's a perfect time to invite people this time of year in Jesus' name. So please do so and, uh, and, and participate in those things as well. So those are the announcements we have. But we are speaking in this lesson about Mary, Did You Know? A, a very fitting title because I don't know that when she was younger, she understood the full capacity of what she was going to face and the challenges that she was going to come against as being the mother of God and, and not having necessarily a physical father here in this world. And so she had really trust in God. She had to have a life that was in line with God as we learned last week. And we learned how to be called of God as, as Mary was. And so there were some things there that I think convicted all of us that we can work on, some things that we can go deeper with God on, even when people around us are, are, are naysayers and that sort of thing. And so tonight we're going to continue on with that and continue to learn about uh, these things and how Mary progressed through her life. And so this will, I think, really speak quite a bit to you. So I'm going to start out with this scripture. I'm just going to read it, not really explain it much, because this lesson will, will bring it out as we go through it. But in John chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 5, it says this, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana, or yeah, does it say Cana? Yeah, Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And it says, And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So she approaches Jesus and says, Hey, there's no wine. And he says, What have I do to do with thee? Mine hour hasn't came yet. And so his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, you do it. 
And so kind of a brief story that they're in this marriage place, this marriage supper and that sort of thing. They have wine there. And, uh, and, and so and, and this, this wine is a different type of wine. We're not going to go into that debate tonight and that sort of thing. But however, they, they were out of the drink that they had there at that wedding. And so as a result, Mary approached Jesus knowing that he could absolutely perform a miracle there. And Jesus made these comments unto her. And so we're going to speak about that tonight of Mary's participation in this. Listen to these few paragraphs. It says, It wasn't supposed to turn out that way. Much planning had gone into the event, yet it happened, the unthinkable. According to the servants, somehow there wasn't enough. They checked and double-checked, and they were completely out of wine. Perhaps it was the embarrassing situation that caused her to speak. After all, she more than most knew something about this embarrassment. She lived with the burden of explanation, trying to explain to others what had happened, but her explanation was so far-fetched that many, no doubt, struggled to believe it. She, believe, or she lived during a time in which sexual immorality was frowned upon, a punishment even unto death. And although nothing is recorded of her sharing the news of her pregnancy with her parents, we do know that she told her fiancé. It was difficult for him to, to, to fathom what had happened, and at first he rejected her, but God intervened and sent an angel to him in a dream such are the dynamics that surround a person with a promise not everyone will understand it and not all will get it some people will say things but not to face the person of the promise or not to the face of the person with the promise the person of promise however will know something is being said sometimes because they will hear the faint whispers and other times they will simply feel it but talk will occur because that's human nature. These are the conditions of the story. A wedding party with no wine and a groom who would be held responsible. People would talk. What happened would be noted. People would whisper behind his back and they would poke fun at his misfortune. And a lady, not a bride, but a guest, seemed to have much more in common with the groom. She knew what it was like to have people talk about you. People who didn't fully understand the situation and may not have believed even if they heard an explanation such are the circumstances that surround a person with a promise and so tonight we're talking about people with a promise and some of the tragedies that can happen as a result of that in jesus name and so many have felt moments of frustration perhaps even today if you think about it our world is full of different frustrations maybe your political party was elected to the, the presidency. Maybe they weren't. Some people allow that to become a significant part of their lives and, and it just begins to become detrimental. Maybe for some it's a financial pressure or others it could be a job where the job is creating pressure inside of our lives and, and causing this difficulty for us. Other people it could be a relationship that is causing us pain, somebody that hurt us or something that went wrong whether it's a close friendship or something that was more distant than that. These are all things that can affect us. And if you're here tonight and you say that any of these things are affecting you tonight or they have affected you at any point in your life, you are absolutely not alone. That's why I tell people when they come with problems and that sort of thing, make sure you are going 
to church. Make sure you are involved with the brothers and sisters in the church because I would bet that there is somebody that is in here that has went through a similar situation as you and they can begin to speak some knowledge and some wisdom into your life when, when you may not understand what is going on inside of your circumstance. But, but all that, we, we still face frustration even as Christians coming into church. We can have the most incredible worship and that sort of thing and walk out the doors and still face frustration inside of our lives and things that are coming up against us in oppositions. And so most people will experience frustration and sometimes the frustration can be quite substantial inside of our lives. And so this brings us to our first point here. Frustration can be defined as an emotion that occurs when a desired outcome is delayed or hindered in coming to full fruition or beginning to, to come forward with that. I know that this is kind of a deep, long phrase, but if you really begin to break it apart, it really begins to speak truth about why we have to be so careful about not letting our emotions lead us in the kingdom of God. I understand that we have worship services and, and we get excited about God and that sort of thing, and that's fine, and that's great and that sort of thing, but we can't let our emotions be the sole thing that leads us. And this is exactly why, because if we let our emotions lead us, and there's something in our lives that we have expected God to do right now and it hasn't happened right now, then it can begin to lead us to a point where we become so frustrated that we begin to consider things that we should never have considered in the first place. Things like, should I go to church today? Or should I even go to church at all anymore? Or should I read my Bible? Or should I pray today? Because, I mean, it's just going to be like yesterday. It's not going to do anything for me. It's not going to help me. And, and that, that frustration comes from an emotion that's based upon a situation that we have no control over, that, that we have no ability to, to begin to move or mend or, or that, that sort of thing. And so we, we begin to see through this phrase here why emotion can become so dangerous inside of our lives and why we have to be so careful with it leading us and in, in, in that sort of thing. It's good to be sensitive to people, but we must be careful that it doesn't begin to lead us away from the things, the promises that God has put inside of our lives. And so since it is virtually impossible to escape frustration, being able to manage it is essential to remain happy and positive. You, you aren't going to escape it, and, and I'm sorry to burst your bubble if you thought tonight that I was going to tell you you will be able to escape the frustration for the rest of your life. Because, I, I mean, it's just not going to happen. Unfortunately, it's probably going to happen tomorrow and the next day. Something's going to come and disappoint you. Somebody will disappoint you. They won't do their job. You've got to pick it up. Or somebody will tell you something that they're, they're, they, I mean, behind your back or whatever. I mean, you could go down the list of things that are frustrating in life and, and cause us issues and hurts and, and pains and all that, that, that sort of stuff. We can't escape it. So what, what we have to do is we have to learn to manage it the way that God wants us to manage it, the right way on how he wants us to proceed through this life and the steps that are around us. It's like the, the emotional thing. We have it here, but again, we have to learn how to control it. And, and we're, going, we're about ready to go into a month of prayer and fasting, and I don't think it's too soon to start talking about fasting, but this is a good reason why the month of January is so powerful, because we really begin to learn how, how to control things like this, like emotion in our flesh, and things in our life that may lead us down paths that we don't need to go down into places that we don't need to be a part of and that, that sort of thing. So when we fast, we begin to put those emotions and that flesh and that sort of thing under subjection to God, and when we do that, it allows us to be spiritually led and manage those frustrations that are in our life quite a bit more. And so some of us are better than, than others at this and that sort of thing, but um, you know, truly, 
it's something that God wants us to begin to, to work. And so the challenges of life, when we, we think about these things, um, you, you know, you could go down your, your list and write it down and think of all this stuff, but it is these challenges when you have little or no control over them or, the, or little or no control over the outcomes that are most frustrating. It's not the ones that you can easily solve or, I mean, it's just a brief brush by and that sort of thing, but really when the thing begins to extend on past a week or a month or a year or five years, that we really begin to get frustrated and that, that sort of thing. Uh, let me just give you an example. You know that God says that he will fill people with the Holy Ghost. And so sometimes people gonna come down to the altar and they don't immediately receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And, and, and that can eventually become a frustration if we continue to seek and seek and seek and seek. And yet God hasn't filled us with the Holy Ghost and we're slamming our fists down and saying, God, why aren't you doing this right now? And we don't understand what's, what's moving inside of that or maybe we have something hindering it or whatever it may be. There, there's different things that can come into play inside of that, but we must learn how to control that frustration so that we don't just eventually give up and throw in the towel and say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm ready to give up. It just doesn't make sense. God gave me this promise, but he hasn't fulfilled it, and so I'm just going to throw in this towel, give it all up, and that, that sort of thing. We can't do that. So let me ask you this, this question here, and, and we can kind of maybe have some fun with this, but what are some things that frustrate you because they are outside of your control? And if anybody says their husband or wife that's that's your thing. <laughs> what? Okay. What are some things that frustrate you because they're outside your control? Yes. Your house. Yes. Your house getting done. There you go. Yes. Keeping the contractors in line. Anybody else have some frustrations that begin to play? The snow. Yes. I know, I'm about ready to throw in the towel on that one. Move to Hawaii. Jesus. Drivers that are in front of you. <laughs> yes. Drivers that are in front of you. I, I know the same thing. I spoke about it this morning. They go two miles an hour under the speed limit. The speed limit's the speed limit for a, per, 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 a purpose. So go the speed limit. Yeah. Drivers that are behind you. <laughs> Another frustration as well. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. And I, I know that we're laughing about some of these things, but it's real. When we're in that situation, it's something that begins to irritate us. Does anybody have like maybe a longer situation that is extended on for, for a while? Very frustrating, very much so. And they, they want to let you know what, what they know about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, frustrations. It, it's truly, it, it, it does. And, and it's things that we all struggle with because we're all human. Somebody else, does anybody else have something that, maybe, yes, sister. Sickness that just won't go away. And God doesn't heal it. Yeah, it can get frustrating. I completely understand. Anybody else? There's something there. I know that these... Yeah, yeah, your husband. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, being in pain every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are things that, that affect us. Frustrations that every day in life we have to face. And again, there, there just is no escaping them. 
we, we go to work and, and you can't fire the person next to you that, that's driving you crazy or whatever, or the one that's playing the music or, you know, that, that sort of stuff, or telling the bad jokes or, or those things. You, you just, these are frustrations that we do have to face and we have to pray about them and learn how to manage them because they are out of our control. And so let's begin to, to figure out how we might do this. Consider the bridegroom who ran out of wine. It was an embarrassing situation, especially in a first century society which was based on honor and shame. If you take your place back or you take yourself back to that time frame and you think about how important this wedding was, there, this is the place where you as a man, you show everybody that you can put things together and you can have everything on time and, and you have the ability to, to marry this guy's daughter and, and all this sort of stuff. This is where you, you make a point to the community that, man, you are an honorable, honorable person and, and you set the, the, basically the tempo for the rest of your life from this point forward. And so when we come to this wedding, you have to think about this guy and what happens here, that when this wine begins to run out, that, uh-oh, there's kind of a big situation going on here. This isn't really going to show honorable to my, my father-in-law that, man, I can put things together and have him prepared, that I completely messed up my wedding. I forgot to, to get this, this, this big important item. This is very important in their weddings at that, that important time. They, they ran out of wine, and this was something that was significant for, for um, this, this bridegroom, if you think about what he was doing. And so this certainly must have caused him to get frustrated in, in this place. And despite all the planning that had gone into the event, despite all the efforts in this event, the unthinkable occurred, that they ran out of this wine. And, and it's crazy to, to think about all that he must have put in prior to this, and then they end up running out of wine. And so let me ask you another question. I know that we talked about these frustrations, but what do you usually do when you are frustrated with something? Complain. Complain? <laughs> Be negative. Get a headache, go to bed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You make yourself sick and your body finally says it's time to, to slow down a little bit. Yeah, it's true. Anybody else? At times I kind of express my frustration and then I try to stop it and pray and think about what I'm grateful for. Sometimes I try to tell myself to be grateful for my frustration. Wow. And it just to get a better perspective. Yeah, very much so. I, I think you hit the, the, the nail on the head there of, man, you know, we can look at the good things that God is doing for us. And we can understand that he truly does have it in control. Just like Elijah at that, that point where, you know, he's surrounded by this military. But he's like, you know, God's got this. God's got this under control. There's, there's these chariots of fire and that sort of thing running to and fro. And, and man, we don't got to worry about this situation. Let's just let God do his thing in the midst of that. I think that's an awesome, awesome point. And, and what about, you know, I heard from somebody that, you know, driving along. And I know we joke about this. And I get frustrated about those things as well. But what if we pray for those people and, and, and pray for them in Jesus' name and that sort of thing and ask God to touch them or lead them unto an apostolic church and stuff instead of becoming negative and getting in those places. And I think we've all been guilty of that and all been in those places before. I know that there was a time 
um, even in, in my job where my shift, it seemed like everybody was coming to me with their problems on the shift. For whatever reason, they felt that I was a good sounding board. And, and I think it was because they trusted me. They knew that I wasn't just going to go blast it to the supervisors and all that sort of stuff. But when you get a bunch of negative stuff just constantly coming and coming and coming and coming, it begins to weigh on you. And then you begin to get frustrated just with all their negativeness, even if you're not in the negative situation yourself. I mean, it's kind of crazy. So you have to learn, again, how to manage this. And that's what we're speaking about tonight. And I know I keep saying that, but we're going we're gonna to talk about this. And so frustration at this wedding, it was likely very, very high. It was supposed to be a joyous occasion. But joy had given way to frustration. The bridegroom was a, probably very frustrated. But he wasn't the only one that was frustrated. I think your books say this, but consider the servants the ones who were supposed to be serving this, this sort of thing. Maybe they were the ones that were supposed to go pick up so many gallons of whatever they were supposed to have to serve the people. And they messed it up. They forgot a gallon somewhere and, and they, they didn't do it right. I mean, the frustration of thinking, man, what if we were the ones that, that messed this up? But even if they weren't the ones that messed it up, thinking about the bridegroom who they're there to support and be excited with, thinking, man, I feel so bad for him because his wedding is completely botched and now everybody's going to be talking about this throughout the town forever and ever. It's a pretty incredible thing. And it was a, this, the, the uncertainty likely increased their level of stress and, without, and, and with that, their level of frustration. But in the midst of this, the greatest level of frustration here was Mary. In this situation, it wasn't the bridegroom or the servants that were frustrated about not having enough wine, but it was Mary who was frustrated. And, and I, I want you to think, long about this because we asked the question, well, why would Mary be frustrated? It's not her wedding. She might have a friendship or a relationship with these people, but why would Mary be frustrated at a, a wedding where, I mean, she's not the one that messed this up. She doesn't have any part of it. Uh, like, truly, she, she, there's just nothing that's there. Well, this is what happened. Mary assumed a role of responsibility, and she wanted, she sought a positive force in correcting this negative situation. She wanted the situation to go from negative to positive. And if you think about it, Mary at this time had been walking around for years upon years with Jesus being born and Jesus having not been really performing any miracles or doing anything that was completely changing people's minds. And she had had to live with this idea that people were still gossiping about her and saying, man, she had this child out of wedlock and she very likely had an affair or whatever it might have been to, to, to have this child. And they were creating these rumors and these things about her. And Mary was living with this while Jesus was alive. And Jesus could have been doing something about it, but Jesus wasn't doing anything to prove that he was God in front of all these people other than small things here and there and that sort of thing. But he wasn't changing the world so Mary was still having to live in a situation with frustration where where she couldn't expand and tell people man like I, this is the promise like God gave me this promise but yet people still were not believing her that Jesus was this promise and this one that was there to save the world because he hadn't really demonstrated a lot of that at this particular point in time and so Mary at this wedding she gets this idea of man, you know what this is a perfect time for Jesus to begin to show himself and then people will begin to believe and understand that the promise that God had gave to me, she wanted to be validated at that point, not necessarily prideful or that sort of thing, but she wanted to be validated and show people that the promise that God had given to her was very real and that he could do miracles and perform things that were there. So she went to Jesus and she said, Jesus, they're out of wine. You can do miracles? Here's a, a great one to start with. 
Everybody will see it. And, and finally, I, 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 will, I will have this virtue in my life. So this was her motive. That one might argue that she was a caring person, but that's not it. But this here is highly possible in this. That Mary may have been the most frustrated person because she had been waiting on validation for all that she had been proclaiming for so long. She had been walking around and telling people about the promises that God had spoken to her, that the angel had, had spoken to her in that dream. She had been walking around and telling them about the, the, this angel that came to Joseph, and yet there was nothing that was ex, like greatly to, to, to show for it other than people knowing that this appeared to be the Messiah, but he wasn't doing anything crazy. Think about how frustrating that truly would have been at that point in time. To be in Mary's shoes at that point. It'd be like the biggest, baddest thing is right here, but you guys just can't see it. You can't unwrap it, and you're not believing me even when I tell you straight to your face that the biggest, baddest thing is here. Think of how crazy that was. But Mary didn't just throw in the towel and walk away and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to put you up for adoption and give you away to somebody else. She didn't do that. She didn't do that. She, said, she, she fought through it. She trusted in the promise that God had given to her through that angel. If you begin to compare us to, to Mary, my goodness, we have leaps and bounds to begin to go. Because we, we begin to get frustrated over some of these promises that we see in the Bible and that pastor proclaims to us across this pulpit. And we know that God has given them to us, and yet they're not happening Right now, they're not beginning to do anything. We tell people around us, man, I went to a worship service on Sunday. It was incredible. I felt the Holy Ghost, and it was powerful. And they begin to stand back and look like, man, that's how goofy are you? Like you lifted your hands and ran around the aisles and that sort of stuff. I mean, the people around us aren't understanding. And then we begin to think, well, God, right here inside of the school lunchroom, if you would you know, bring down fire and begin to demonstrate and do these incredible things, people would know and understand who you are and that sort of stuff. And we begin to get frustrated with what God has. But we can't do that. We must be like Mary and, and be incredibly respectful and understand that God, even though he proclaims his promises, he will unfold them in his perfect timing. And in his way and that sort of thing. We begin to see that. And I can tell you that, that if you are, are brand new to this thing right now, I mean with baptism and the Holy Ghost and that sort of stuff, that's great. Those are awesome promises and don't get frustrated about them and keep seeking them and keep letting God use you in them. But I also want to speak to the crowd that maybe you're, you're beginning to step above that and you're beginning to step into some leadership roles and that sort of thing. God will begin to speak to you promises very much so like you did to Mary and you'll want them to happen right now, this instant at this very moment. But God won't let them happen right now at this very instant in this moment. I've had it many times, many places where people have said this is going to happen in your life. And I was like, okay, God, let it unfold right now. This is going to be super cool. And I've told friends around me and they stand back and they kind of smirk and laugh and that sort of thing. Because they're like, yeah, is God really going to do that? Like even apostolic people, they're like, man, you know, like we, we trust that God spoke to you. But you're kind of going a little bit off on the deep end there. And that sort of thing. I mean, you, you have people that say those things around you, but you know the promise that God has given to you. You know what God has spoken to you, and yet other people want to begin to tear that down. But we can't let frustration be the thing that begins to say, okay, God, I'm just going to throw that promise completely out of the window, and, and I'm just going to just keep showing up for church and lift my hands and that sort of thing. No, keep doing those things, but keep trusting in the promise of God. Keep trusting in what he has given to you, and don't let the naysayers be the naysayers inside of your life. Don't let them begin to bring that down. Let's handle frustration in the right way so the promises of God can begin to unfold and grow and move around us in, in Jesus' name. We have 
that ability to do that. And so it, it's, it's just some incredible things here when you think about Mary. And so it had, it had caused her incredible difficulty that she was going to. It was a virgin birth, and no one had ever heard of such a thing in her time. No one had ever heard of this. And she no doubt endured the stares, the whispers, and those who talked behind her back about this. No one seemed to understand, but how could they? They were not there when the angel spoke to her at all. All they had was her word. And for many, her word alone, it wasn't enough. They didn't just want to trust in her word. And even those who wanted to believe her likely experienced, even though they wanted to believe her, they likely experienced doubt inside of their minds of saying, I don't know if this is true, Mary. I don't know if what you're saying here is actually real. I don't know if, you know, you took something and, and you, you had a dream or whatever, but I don't know, Mary, what, what it is there. And so years had gone by, and for all of this time, she had been waiting for the moment when she could be validated, waiting for the time when others would know what she had said was true. She could demonstrate to them that this was very, very true. But perhaps the person who was most embarrassed was the one who had carried the burden the longest at this wedding. Perhaps that is why she spoke, and although her son would say, it's not my time, in her eye, it was past time. Jesus told her, it's not time yet, Mary. I, I, I see that she want, they want to do this, but it's not time yet. It is not time yet at, at that particular moment is what, what he said to her. And for her, I, I mean, I could understand the frustration of, man, I thought this was the moment. And, and again, just compiling that on over and over and over again. It was time for her embarrassment to be put away, she thought. And it was time that the world would see what she had been talking about. It was time for the Messiah to reveal himself, and he was more than just a carpenter's son. He was there soon to be deliverer, and that day of the wedding, he was the liberator. And he was the lifter of the burden of embarrassment, not only for the groom, but also for his mother when he began to perform these miracles. And so, let me ask you another question. What are some things that a person does to hold on to promises over a long period of time? What are some things that we can do to hold on to promises over a long period of time. Maybe some things you do or some things you think we can do. Yes. Yes, use scripture. Yes, very much so. Somebody else. Things to help us with frustration and promise. Included in your daily prayer. Amen. Yes, and remind yourself of it. That's a great thing. I know. I've, yes, brother. Um, remember what God's already done for you and kind of just look back and see that he's taken care of you so many other times before. So mm -hmm. why wouldn't he on this as well? Wow. Yeah, very much so. Amen. name thank him yes anybody else have anything that they do yes sister
things to help us continue through that. Again, showing the importance of men's groups and ladies' groups and being involved in this community here, it, it helps. It's a huge help in Jesus' name. Does anybody else have anything else? I don't want to um, rush through this and have something important not said. I know I've said this before, um, but like for me, one of the things that I like to do is journal things. Um, and I, I know that, that you can say that's childish or whatever it might be, but I, I have an app on my iPad that links to my phone and that sort of stuff to where I can type in notes wherever I'm at at a certain point in time. Um, and so God will speak to me in, in weird places through magazines. I mean, what, like you're standing in the grocery store and you see whatever and, and he'll just give you something. And so you, you know, write it down. And then it's there. It's, it's there permanently. Or God says, you know, at some point something's going to happen. And um, I remember when I was a young person, and uh, I think I was like 15 or something, and we had this group that we started after one of our youth camps where we had uh, like 10 kids from around the district, and we would call in on these, these calls, and it eventually dwindled down to just five of us. But we would call in, and we would pray with one another, and we would write down like promises that God would give us in that prayer group. And it was so cool to see when God would actually honor those things or work through those things. And we, we just practiced the things of God there, there. I mean, we were new to it. We were still trying to understand it. We, we wanted to see God work in those ways. And so we just prayed. And when we felt that God gave us something, we'd write it down and we'd see it unfold. And it helped us to really kind of fine-tune how we listened to God and, and, and what might have been God versus what might have been us coming up with something. And so it, it was very cool um, with, with how that would work. And so... Those are some things that we can certainly do. And so would it, not have be, or would it not be great if once we received a promise, it was fulfilled shortly after? That would make life so easy, push frustrations away. If we get that promise, and then boom, God just fulfills that right away. Others would immediately see these things, and they would stand in agreement with us, saying, yes, God is going to do that inside of your life. But it doesn't work that way inside of this life. The truth of the matter is, is that not everyone will believe with us. Not everyone's going to believe what, what God has told us. Not everyone will see it, feel it, and believe it. Hence, we learn something about promises. That promises are not about today as much as they are about tomorrow. We receive promise, but the fulfillment of the promise seldom happens as quickly as we think. And we have to learn to trust in that. So this says that the fulfillment of promises often take longer than we think. And I know that that frustrates the daylights out of us, especially when we're on a society that constantly looks at time and that sort of thing. Uh, I've told you all that uh, down in Haiti, you know, that, that's one of the, the coolest things. You almost feel a burden lift in that, that sense when you realize that you're not restricted to a certain time frame in everything that you do. So, I mean, there's no clocks on the walls. There's nothing like that. Service still happens around the same time. But you understand that, man, when you get there, things will happen. Whatever, you know, you just kind of go with the flow. Like, you know, and it's that whole kind of Mediterranean culture where you just, you know, you just go with the flow and you can go through those things. It's a really cool feeling when you understand that, man, I'm not stuck to my watch all the time. I have to be in bed at a certain time and all that, that sort of stuff. But in, in America, we are stuck to our, our time frames a lot. And I think that frustrates us as well. That we say, man, you know, okay, in this time. Or we schedule God and we say, okay, God, at this time I want you to move this certain mountain or whatever. And it better be done in these 15 minutes because that's all I can schedule for this little bit today. And, and I know that, that it's there in that sort of thing. And, and, and it's, it's something that we have to be careful with in scheduling God into a certain year or a certain time frame or whatever we think his plan might be. Just take those steps. Trust him. Walk those baby steps, and he will begin to fulfill his promises. He'll begin to let them expand, and we just got to trust in that. Scripture in the Bible, and I was just thinking about it. Uh, 
it's found in the book of Ecclesiastes, and of course we understand that it was written by a man who had a lot of observation in his life. But let me just quote part of it to you. It says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Mm -hmm. And I think what Brother Mike said lends to this. Remember the good things that God has done. I think that's yeah. one thing that can help us to overcome and, and to get through frustration. But the scripture also says, but in the day of adversity, it uses a word, it says consider. The word consider literally means to see, look at, inspect, or perceive. God is trying to get something across to us. Mm -hmm. And that's why the word consider is there. And that's what we sometimes don't want to do. We just want to just press on, get rid of it. Let's just get on with something that's a little easier and nicer for us. Yeah. But God is wanting to take an opportunity for us to consider. Yes. So. Amen. Yes. What's that? Ecclesiastes 7 and 14. Yes. Ecclesiastes 7 and 14. Yes. Incredible. Yes. <laughs> we need to consider these things. And that's, that's really what God was doing through Mary here. That's really what, what was happening in her life, is that he was unfolding something that was much larger. And, and we'll kind of see that on these final points um, as we, we get closer to the end of this thing. But it's not that God cannot fulfill a promise in an instant. That's not something that we should question or consider in this. But he often chooses to work with growing things. When you think about it, God created this world by simply speaking it. He spoke it into existence and boom, it was there, and many miracles were performed when Jesus simply spoke a word. And at his word, the wind ceased, the blind were healed, the lame walked, and at his word, the miraculous happened. But when it comes to the things like building a church, developing and growing people, and sanctification, God chooses to work with time. And thus, you can begin to see why the concept of accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and boom, you're done, is an unbiblical concept. It, it absolutely is, because that is not how God works throughout this, the, the scripture. It's not how he works throughout time. He wants to continue building us, and, and we'll see this in the, the scripture here. So let's pull this up, but I guess there's a point here first. Much of what God does in our lives involves a journey, things that take place over a period of time working through us. And so the scripture here shows us this, that in Matthew 24, 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. It's not saying the same, the, the person that accepts Jesus right now shall be saved forever, that sort of thing. No, it's saying the person that endures to the end is the one that is going to be saved. Paul was another one that spoke of this. He said that we will run a race and we must endure and we must stay with it. And it's not about the person that finishes first, but it's about the people who cross the finish line that are going to, to eventually make it into the kingdom of God. He said we must begin to have a pattern throughout our life of not getting frustrated about the kingdom of God, but just living for him and beginning and allowing him to work things through us. Abraham and Sarah were the same ones. They, they received a promise about a child at 100 years old or whatever it was, and, and man, to sit back and think, man, we're going to have a kid at 100 years old. And they tried to do it their own way and that sort of thing because they, they weren't trusting. They, they, they were frustrated with how God was doing it. But then God still stepped in and said, hey, are you ready for my promise to unfold now? Because you guys didn't do it the right way. I mean, it's, it's crazy how we sometimes can take God's promise into our hands and try to begin to build it to what we want it to be. But I'm thankful that God does still want to come back and give us his true promise and his true will. And he'll give us grace and mercy when we do completely mess this thing up. Noah also received a promise, but he also had to wait for his promise. Daniel he prayed for a word from God, but he had to wait for that word from God. I mean, we have all of these people and just a few examples. And something, another example that I was thinking about was David. 
and, and thinking about David as a, a small teenage boy, you know, doing these, these things in the field, fighting off these lions, doing these incredible things, and you, you have this prophet come to your house, the, the man of God that, that you would say, oh my goodness, like he's in my household right now, he's reading my mail, I, th- this is so cool at this particular point, like this guy, he, he's in my house, and the prophet came to, to, to him and, and he said, you are the one that is chosen as the next king of Israel, that, that he, he put that on David at that point in time. I mean, as David, and, and as a young boy, you would think, man, this is so cool, I want to be king right now, and, and when does this start? Like, when do I sign the, the job application, and when, when can I get, get the pay, and all that sort of stuff, or be in front of people? I mean, you get excited about that. But David, there, there's a book about it, and, and, and it's a really good book you, you could read, but he, he was humble about it, and he, he, he knew that Saul was in that place, and that Saul was anointed to be in that place at that particular time. And so David ran around knowing that he had this promise, knowing that if he killed Saul, he would be the one that would take over for him and that sort of thing. And David had the opportunity, if you read the scriptures, you have to read this whole story yourself, but where they chased one another around. And there was one point where David did have Saul at a point where he could have taken Saul's life. Saul wanted to take David's life. Saul chased him all over the place trying to take his life. And David turned the tables and was at a point where he could literally kill Saul with his sword. And he decided not to, because he knew that it was not the time for him to begin to rush the promise of God over his life at that point. He, he ended up cutting Saul's robe at one point, and even at that, he felt terrible that he had cut Saul's robe, and he felt that disgrace by, about what, what he had done inside of that. And so David is another great example of, man, when you get the promise of God, just let God unfold it. In God's timing, he will begin to put you in the places you need to be. You'll be in front of the people that you need to be in front of. We don't have to rush that stuff because God will do it. God will begin to expand those things inside of our household and our families. And so these books here, it's, um, yeah, just that, that book that I was saying you should read it. I think it's The Tale of Three Kings or Three Warfares or one of those two. It was one of the threes. I can't remember. But uh, you, you can look it up and you can see there's some really, really good stuff inside of that. But think about it this way as well, that a promise is like a seed. And this fits perfectly with what Pastor Carnahan just spoke to us on that scripture. It's like a seed that every tree, every great, huge tree that we see out there will start as a tiny little seed. I don't care how big it is, how much it is growing. If you have to carve through the trunk of the tree to get a tunnel for your car to go through it, if it's a massive tree like that, it still started as a tiny little seed that had to be planted in the ground and watered and growing. And that tree started out very small and continued to grow. And over time, it became bigger and bigger and bigger. And so with every mighty uh, tree, there is a seed. There, There was something that started that tree And it's a tree that will not grow overnight, and it takes time for a seed to become a tree. And when we think of the the promises of God very similarly, that if God just planted a huge tree in our lives, it might completely rock our world and turn it upside down, and we might completely fail. Scripture says to be careful with somebody who is a new preacher or a speaker, to be careful with somebody who is younger in these positions. And, and I take that with, with a very humble spirit because it says to be careful because the, these people can become prideful and fall. 
and fall off the map and do things that are not good. And I think there is a warning inside of that, that if God just began to expound all these promises inside of our life, then, then we could become in that very same state of, man, you know, look at what God's doing. Like I can walk down and every single person's healed and all that stuff. And there's this glow and all these sort of things about my life. You know, we, we could be just, it could be detrimental and it could cause the complete opposite of what God wants to do inside of us. But if we let God slowly build and slowly begin to move things into our lives, that's why promises sometimes take a while to happen. And so it brings us here to our next point, and it says this, that we must remain patient and we must endure the wait if we want to see the promises God has given us come to fruition. We must be patient and endure the wait. It's part of the biblical process, part of what God wants us to go through in order for these things to happen. If we are patient and waiting, what God has promised us, it will come to completion. It, it will be there. It, it'll be at a place where, where it, it'll do what it needs to do, and God will speak to us in the way that it needs to be spoken. And so we must remember that we cannot make God hurry up, no matter how hard we try. When we were kids, we might have thrown a tantrum and got our parents to hurry up a little bit and that sort of thing. But in the kingdom of God, that's not going to work. You're going to look pretty foolish trying to do that in front of God. And, and quite frankly, you might irritate him, and, 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 and that's not a place that I want to be in, in the kingdom of God. But we cannot make him hurry up, even though we might want to. It does not work that way. His ways are not our ways, the scripture says. And though we do not understand his timing, we simply must put trust in him. There may be times when it seems our promises are not going to happen. Still, we must, get a, uh, we must not get ahead of God. And, and begin to form things and do things ourselves and say, you know what, God, if you're not going to do it, then I can do these steps and help you pick this pace up and do it a little quicker. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. Having faith that he is going to do what he is going to do in Jesus' name. Having faith that if he spoke it, it, is, it has the ability to be done in Jesus' name. And so we must be very, very careful with those things. If he has given you that promise, I want to remind you again, he will fulfill it. He doesn't just give these promises out and then break them. He's not one of those people or one of those things around us that frustrates us and hurts us because they do truly not hold up to their word. But no, what he speaks in this word that's been around for thousands of years and what he speaks in the church and through the gospel and through people, men and women of God, those things are very real, they're alive, and they're true. This word is living all around us. It amazes me how much Hollywood and, and that sort of stuff, how much they model a lot of their movies and their films around biblical concepts, if you really begin to look at it. Things that were deep truths and, and that, that, that sort of stuff that, that they, they, they take and they form into these movies that are just crazy and, and a lot of them appalling and stuff like that. But you will still begin to see some, some, some things that they're trying to take from that. It's because of how true God's word has stood over time and how many places it has begun to reach when people don't even know or understand that it is being spoken around them. It, it's insane. You, you begin to, to get this vision and see, man, God is right there. And people could literally touch him at that particular spot but they, they just don't want to. They, 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 they don't see it that way because they don't know the promises that the kingdom of God has in here. And I know that sometimes it's even frustrating for us to say, man, God, why don't you come back right now? We could all go to heaven and not have to deal with any of these things anymore. 
But you know what? That's not what he's working through. He's reaching for souls. He's reaching for hearts. And we must catch his vision and his idea of how we're going to, 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 to move in this life and that sort of thing. When we begin to get his vision and his sight, then those promises become so much easier to dwell inside. And there will come a time when you will be validated, when we will be validated in these things that we have proclaimed. I know that there's a frustration sometimes when we speak about the Holy Ghost, when we speak about oneness, when we speak about holiness to people around us and to, to churches that just say, man, that's a bunch of bogus stuff and we don't want any part of it. There's nothing that's any part of that. And we say, God, please just validate us inside of this so that somebody can see this message and what it can do. But we must just trust and say, you know what, God, we understand you will validate it when the time is right. You will show people when the time is right. When what we are holding on to, it will come to pass. And in the meantime, growth occurs during the wait. And waiting is not a waste. Waiting is of immense value. That growth comes during the wait. It comes during the wait. So let's discuss three things here tonight. And, and we'll finish with these three things. But what do we do in a time of waiting? What do we do so that we, we can push down that that frustration and those things that Mary might have faced. What, what do we do? Well, the first one here comes from 2 Timothy 3 and 14. It says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I know that we, we read this scripture once, but the, the title of this is to remain faithful. When we become super frustrated, we remain faithful in the things that we know God has given to us already. Just like you all have said so many times that if God has done it for you before, you just begin to trust in it and understand that, man, God can do it again. And I know that he's got my back and he will hold me through this. When you do not know what else to do, you hold on to the last thing that you knew to do. When you have no idea what else to do, you hold on to the last thing that you knew to do. If it was pray every day, you pray every day. If it was read your Bible every day, you read your Bible every day. If it was God just telling you, just continue with these steps, you continue to take those steps. But you, ultimately, you remain faithful. And if you remain faithful, it's going to help you resist that frustration and that frustration that will come from God not working quick enough inside of your life. The second one here, it comes from Isaiah 50 and 7. And it says this, For the Lord God will help me, Therefore shall I not be confounded, and therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Does anybody want to take a guess at what it means to set your face like a flint? By chance? I know that this is kind of old English terms. To set your face like a flint. That's the second point, by the way. To set your face like a flint. Sister Cece. Don't pout. Okay. Don't pout. Anybody else have a guess that they want to take at this? A shot? Stay determined? Okay. There's some good things here. Let, let me read this so I don't mess it up. It says, to set your face like a flint is to not allow yourself to be moved to the right or to the left by things that might distract you. So you're not moved by the things that can easily distract you around, but you keep your, your, your idea set. That, man, I know my family, I know other people, I know billboards, these things around me are saying things, but I know what has kept me on a straight and true path, the Word of God, the Scripture that I read this morning, 
the, the, the prayer that God has given to me, the thing that the angel spoke to me in the middle of the night. God, I'm going to trust in that, and I'm not going to let these other ideas begin to waver me or distract me or take me down from these things. That's why sometimes when God speaks some things to me, I will tell pastor by all means, but there, I won't necessarily tell anybody else. Because I don't want to be distracted by things around me sometimes. It's just what it has to be. God will speak some things to you that sometimes it's not meant for the whole entire world to hear at that particular moment. Because it can completely distract you and completely mess up the plan that God has given to you in, in, in that moment. And Mary could have very well faced that same thing of all the people saying, Mary, you're foolish with this idea that you're going through. Mary, you're, you're messed up about this idea that didn't happen and you shouldn't be thinking about these things. And she could have thrown in the towel but she did not. And it goes on to say this, that do not allow the whispers to distract you. Silence the voices of negativity, even the voices inside of your own head. We have to silence those things and let the Spirit of God, the Word of God, take place of those things inside of our mind. Because, man, it will turn things around. And, and I know this whole positive thinking thing is, is whatever. But, man, this is the best positive thinking thing. That when we begin to put this word of God in our hearts, then it will begin to change our thoughts around. People will begin to smile so much more. I mean, I, it took me out of so much depression and things when I began to understand how great God is and what he can do. And so you see why it's important to set our face like a flint. I know that that's English terms and stuff. Maybe you have to memorize it and that stuff. But set your face like a flint and don't let things distract you or pull you down or move you because it is there. Just like, I'll remind you again, Elijah. He knew that God was around there doing those things. And he could have easily been distracted by people saying, man, we're done, we're toast and all this sort of stuff. But he didn't say that. He said, God, open their eyes. Let them see what I see. Let them see what's in this environment around us because we can win and conquer this. And then the last one here comes from the scripture that we read at the beginning. And it says, His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, you do it. Whatever he says unto you, you do it. That's the third point. You do what Mary encouraged the servants to do. You do not allow what goes on in your head to talk you out of doing what he tells you to do. But when God speaks it in a Bible study, when he speaks it in your household, in your family prayer, when God tells you those things, you do what he has asked you to do. And I know that sometimes we question those things, but, and it's okay to ask God questions, but we can't let the question be the thing that stops us from completely doing what God wants us to do. I don't understand everything inside of this Bible and the book of Revelation and why God's doing things a certain way and why there's a ten-horned beast and, I mean, like all these things that are coming in there and all. I mean, I don't understand all that stuff, but I just I have questions about it. But I still have to have faith and know and understand that, that God, you know, even though you're not explaining this to me and I, I might get a little frustrated about it, I'm not going to let that be the thing that stops me right now and saying, well, church isn't worth it or God isn't worth it or this life isn't worth it because of, uh, of not understanding these things in frustration. You can see how dangerous frustration can truly be. But if we do these three things of remain faithful, we set our face like a flint, and we do what Mary encouraged the servants to do, do what Jesus told you to do, then we truly can begin to manage frustration in our lives. It will become a lot smaller than what it was at one point in time. And so I encourage you this week to take these things, to pray about them, and let God expound these in your life. Where, where can I, what, which of these can I work on, God? What can I begin to put more inside of my life, inside of my heart, 
in all of that. And I encourage you to memorize some scripture, just one scripture a month. I mean, whatever it may be, put that in your heart or, or put it on your mirror. Or if you have a work computer, put it on a sticky note and put it on your work computer so you're constantly reading that scripture over and over and over again. And it will truly help you with what you have going in Jesus' name. So listen and willingly obey God in that. I'm going to finish tonight with reading the short story here. And I'm sure you'll quickly recognize who this is about. But in the book of Amazing Stories, Robert Patterson tells of a little boy named Michael, for whom growing up in the South was difficult during his childhood years. Many looked down on him because of the color of his skin. When a white friend invited him to his house, the friend's mother chased Michael away while berating her son for bringing a colored boy into the house. Michael was the son of a preacher, but by the time he was a teenager, he no longer trusted a religion that looked the other way while white folks uh, practiced bigotry. So everyone was surprised when Michael entered seminary. But it wasn't to preach the gospel as much as to use the pulpit to promote racial justice. Patterson writes, He organized bus boycotts and peaceful protests. When sheriffs unleashed their police dogs, he responded, Throw us in jail, and we will still love you. Beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by your capacity to suffer, or by our capacity to suffer. He continues and says that Michael hit a rock bottom when he was throwing into the Birmingham County Jail, or city jail. With plenty of free time, he began to reread the Bible he had dismissed as a myth. As he studied letters written by a jailed apostle some 1900 years early, earlier, he realized his hope wasn't in how much he loved others, but in how much his Savior loved him. During this time, Michael dug deep, and according to history, he experienced a personal transformation. And not long after, Michael was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. You probably thought his name was Martin, but that is his nickname. The name appears on his birth certificate as Michael. By the time he was assassinated in 1968, Martin or Michael or Martin, had founded a movement that changed the United States. It is one thing to have a dream, a desire, and a longing to see something happen, and it is quite another to hold on to it long enough to see it come to pass, especially when the journey is filled with great difficulties and takes longer than you ever anticipated. If you identify, perhaps you can find strength, as Patterson notes, from a line that Dr. King penned on Birmingham Jail, you must accept finite disappointment, but never lose finite inf or infinite hope. You can lose finite disappointment, but never lose finite hope. So that's what he is saying there. So, all right. If we could stand tonight, let's let God just kind of bless us with these words that he spoke here tonight. I think he spoke to something that we all might be challenged with in Jesus' name.